0: Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning, please. Turn to John chapter 4. In John chapter 4. We've been looking at portraits of Christ in the book of John. And this morning, the title is Jesus the Merciful. Jesus the Merciful. Aren't you thankful for mercy? Somebody might say, well, they don't deserve mercy. Nobody deserves mercy. It's a gift of God. And I'm so thankful for it today. John chapter 4, John chapter 4, thankful for so many visitors today, and I know that some are here for baptisms, and we're thankful for Ashley Mejia, who uh, she um, accepted Christ as her Savior a little while ago, and, and I was thankful for her husband, Caesar, who came to me, and he said, Pastor, he says, I just, I struggle with English, and he says, would you talk to my wife, and so they come over for dinner, and it took a little while, but after about, I guess, an hour and a half or so, she bowed her head and trusted Christ as her Savior, and so thankful for that. So today, she's following a Believer's Baptism, and uh, we're thrilled and happy for her, so you pray for Ashley, and uh, she's got some family here today, and, and it's good to see them. We're glad that you've come, and uh, with one young couple, her sister walked in, and I thought, I know these folks, and I said to her husband, I said, where are you from? And They said, Woodstock, and I went, okay, and, and turns out that uh, she was Katie Massacre's maid of honor. And you know Katie Masker, Norma Weetrick's granddaughter, and Pastor Masker was here on staff. And so just a, such a small world, isn't it? And uh, so I, w- I had uh, officiated at their wedding and got to meet these folks. It's been seven or eight years now. And uh, so it's been a while, but it's good to see you again. And then uh, Caitlin accepted Christ as her Savior. It was Thursday night, I believe. And uh, we were down at a convention, and we started, uh, social media started lighting up. And uh, Caitlin was thrilled she got saved. Amen. And uh, listen, uh, I'm thankful that she didn't let pride get in her way because a lot of people, man, if you've made a profession of faith and you've been holding on for all these years, you say, the devil tells you, what are people going to think if you come and get saved now? And boy, you can let that make you go to hell. If you don't accept, and so I'm thankful for that, that she said, I'm just going to get this right, and she accepted Christ, and she brought a friend, Tracy Russell, here today with her, and we're glad that you're here, Tracy, and, and I've, I've heard about Tracy. She's worked with all my family, but I've never got to meet her, so I'm glad that she's here today, and then we have uh, one of our bus kids brought her mom out today, Annette Cooper. And we're glad. I'm not going to make her wave. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you see somebody you don't know, it's probably Annette. Alright, so shake her hand and make her feel welcome today. Matter of fact, take her out to lunch or something. She'd probably be happy to do that. All right. but we're so glad that these folks have invited their families to come to church. And let me encourage you to do that. Uh, We we noticed that when Andrew, uh, the disciple, was called, the first person he went to was who? His brother, Peter. And when he brought his brother to Jesus Christ. And so let let that be a pattern in your life to bring your family to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are excited. In just a few weeks, uh, we have our Resurrection Cantata. And our Resurrection Cantata is all about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be on Saturday night and on Sunday morning. Would you please, please, please pray fervently. Now is the time to start inviting, alright? I have, I have emailed some folks and I've put out some feelers, but it's always been my experience that if you invite people more than three weeks early, they seem to forget. Now we're three weeks out. And so now is the time to really work. We're hoping to canvas all of Simcoe in the next few weeks with flyers. You can take some flyers from the lobby. We have more coming this week. And uh, make sure you invite your neighbors, your family, your friends. We have uh, put out feelers to all the nursing homes and retirement homes. And I know uh, some are coming on Saturday night bringing buses in. Uh, for the Easter Cantata, and we're thrilled about that. We've invited other churches to come to try to be a blessing to some of the neighboring churches. And so please be in prayer for that. Most importantly, that on Sunday morning or Saturday night, folks might come, hear the gospel, and accept Christ as Savior. Would you please, please pray for it in that regard? And pray for the choir, too. They want to do their very best for the Lord, and prayer always helps. And so please do that. John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4. I have enjoyed, if I'm the only one, Maybe that's so, but I've enjoyed so far studying through the book of John and learning more just about Jesus Christ. Last year, in my, in my Bible reading schedule, I committed to just reading the Gospels. Now, I would read other parts of the Bible as I studied for messages, but in my daily Bible reading, I just read the Gospels over and over and over because I really wanted to learn. And that kind of led me, I think, to preach this series of messages on the portraits of Christ. John chapter 4 I have to say, is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Because we see the mercy of Jesus Christ in unusual places. and We'll talk about that more this morning as we go. Look at John chapter 4 with me. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more than disciples than John, though Jesus Himself baptized not but His disciples, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were not gone away unto the city to buy meat." Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful and grateful today that your mercy has been extended to those today who already have trusted you and know Christ as our Savior. But the wonderful theme of Scripture this morning is that that same mercy is extended to each one who would believe, each one who stands in their own sin looking for a Savior. And so we pray, Lord, that today that you would reach out today and speak to hearts. Maybe there's somebody here that has never trusted Christ as Savior, that Perhaps today they would understand the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him for eternal life. Father, for those that are saved, may we be reminded that because Christ is merciful, we must also be merciful to others. So Father, help us, we pray, and grow our faith today. Lord, fill me with thy Holy Spirit. I need your help. I surrender to you. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, often when somebody exhibits a particular skill set or attribute in their life, maybe an overwhelming characteristic, it often becomes a part of their title. I have studied history a little bit and looking at my family tree, and I you come across names like William the Conqueror, no doubt he was a mighty warrior. Richard the Lionheart, because of his expertise on the battlefield. Athletes as well often get given nicknames, and I may be dating myself a little bit, but how many know who I speak of when I say the great one? The great Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky, or Air Jordan, anybody know who that is? A couple basketball fans, Michael Jordan, today it's Sid the Kid, Sidney Crosby, or some others, I I don't know him as well today. But because of their expertise or because they excel in a certain field, it has become a part of their name. You know, in the Word of God, we see the same thing with the Lord Jesus Christ, although His titles are too many to tell. We think of the name, the Prince of Peace, Mighty God, the Just One, Messiah, Savior, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. But you know, in the Bible, we don't see the name merciful attached to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet if you were to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, there was no mistaking that he was mercy. Blind Bartimaeus would cry out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. There was a woman that came out of the city and she was crying and weeping over her demoniac daughter. And she said, Jesus, have mercy on my daughter. As a matter of fact, I... I did a quick search and I find that in the Gospels and uh, and, and some of it repeats because it's a, a repeated story or a parallel passage, but 84 times people asked Jesus for mercy. There was no doubt that they knew they could go there and find what they were looking for. There was no doubt that they could find not only mercy, but the Bible talks about Hebrews as we go into the Holy of Holies, into that throne room of grace. We can ask for mercy, but we will find grace. Mercy is not receiving the punishment that we do deserve, and grace is God's gifting us with eternal life, a heavenly home, and all those other things on top of mercy, unmerited favor, but to know that we can come to Christ at any time and find mercy is just a wonderful thing. I don't know about you, but like most people, like I suppose everybody that was ever born of woman struggles with the flesh. To say that we are without sin is perhaps the greatest lie of all. For Paul says, my flesh wareth against my spirit, and my spirit wareth against the flesh. I'm paraphrasing, and he says, the things I should be doing, I'm not doing, and the things I shouldn't be doing, I am doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. He battled with sin on a daily basis. And can I suggest to you that if the Apostle Paul lived in our day and age, I think he would have to admit that the temptations that are placed before our eyes today are far worse than first century Israel. The billboards that we see, the commercials that come on TV, the, the, the sex that is promoted, the nudity that is promoted... The temptation before our eyes is far greater than it's ever been in any point in history. And so we war with the flesh. I'm so thankful that I can go to Christ for mercy. That I can go to Him for cleansing. The, the verse stands out in my mind, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, but if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and, and also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the mercy of Jesus Christ. That we can find it at any moment. You can cry out in the darkness. You can reach to Him in the daylight. There's no clock or time that is appropriate. All you must do is open your heart and your mouth to God. And you can find mercy. In John chapter 4 we see the story of the Samaritan woman. I think it's one of the greatest stories in the Bible for it encapsulates so many things about Jesus. His mercy, His love, His grace his care for others, his condescension into our world. But I want to focus this morning upon the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, if you will, in verse 4, the Bible says, he must needs go through Samaria. Picture with me, if you will, the disciples. The Bible says that Jesus Christ's popularity is becoming known. The first couple verses of John chapter 4, it says, When therefore the Lord knew, so Jesus became aware, or he knew, how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. You see, the Pharisees really weren't a sincere group at all. They were turning their attention from John, who was the voice crying in the wilderness. He was the one that was drawing people out of the cities, and he was the one that was developing a following, and he was the one that was making disciples. But now, as his ministry began to decrease, and Christ began to increase, and by the way, that was just fine with John. That's a wonderful note for us. John knew who he was, but he also knew who he wasn't. He said, I have told you I'm not the Christ. He was just a lamp and Jesus was the light. He was not the bridegroom, he was the friend of the bridegroom. He was not the word, he was the voice that preached forth the word. He was the one that pointed people to Jesus Christ. But he also said at the end of chapter 1, I must decrease but he must increase. So John understood that his ministry was coming to a close. And as the Pharisees saw that John's ministry was shrinking and Jesus was growing, they turned their attention to Jesus. It wasn't because of the message. It, wasn't because of, it was because they were afraid of what was going on. How He might grow to the point of becoming a concern for the religion or the Jewish people of Israel. And Jesus decided, well, it's time that perhaps we leave Judea and go into Galilee. So those disciples packed up their bedrolls and the things that they carried with them, any provisions that they might have had, And they faced to the east, and they began to walk, and Jesus said, no, 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 no! I must go through Samaria. We're headed north. Now, I don't know if the disciples would question him or not, but perhaps they talked among themselves, what do you mean we're going through Samaria? We would normally go east and cross the Jordan River and head north on the eastern side, then we would cross back over. We do anything we can to avoid Samaria. Why would we go through that unclean place? It's against the law of the Jew. I want you to notice that the Lord Jesus Christ showed mercy despite the religious trappings. The Bible says in verse 4, he must needs go through Samaria. Verse 9 says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, hast drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Even the woman was surprised. Why would you speak to me? Why Uh, this is a religious no-no? You're to be separate from us. Yet Jesus extended His mercy anyway. You know, sometimes I think that we get a little bit scared about having religious discussions. Can I encourage you in something? Just don't have them. Don't don't make it about religion. Make it about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus could have gone to the lady, and he could have spent some time discussing, well, you know, we, we understand where the Samaritans come from, and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes, what, what Samaritans are. Uh, and he could have got into all the religious differences, and he could have spoke doctrine with her, but that was not his concern. As a matter of fact, the lady tried to get him onto that topic. He says, our fathers worship in this mountain, but the Jews say we should worship in Israel. Which is it? And Jesus just said, hey, we need to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He brought her back to a relationship with God. We're so scared sometimes because maybe we won't witness to a Roman Catholic, we won't witness to a Jehovah Witness because we're afraid, well, they've got their religion, and they already go to church. It is true that it is difficult to invite somebody to church who already has a church on Sunday morning. But can I encourage you in something? We are not inviting them to church, we're inviting them to Jesus Christ. It is more important that they accept Jesus as their Savior than it is they ever darken the door of our church. If they never come to our church, I'm just concerned that they're getting fed spiritually, that they're going to a good church. I can't tell you how, over the years how many times I got discouraged because somebody would come in the church and they'd get saved, they'd get baptized, and six weeks later they'd say, well, you know, Pastor, we got saved while we were visiting your church, but there's this church way over here, and it's a lot closer to home, and we can get involved, and I'd go, "Ugh." There goes another young family. There goes another young person that got saved and they're moving on. Or, and I, I'd get, I told Pastor McLean, I get so mad at you. I said, man, I, I said, I win somebody to the Lord and baptize them and they end up in your church because they live up on the mountain. He'd just laugh at me. He didn't care. But you know, after a while I got to the point, it was Barry Rutherford that taught me a lesson. His brother, several years ago, had a traumatic incident in his life. And he called Barry and he says, Barry, is I don't know. And Barry got on the phone with him and opened his Bible and began to share the gospel with him. And it just seemed like he wasn't going anywhere. And so he says, would you do this? Would you go over to Bethlehem? Would you meet the pastor? Pastor Bowman was here. And he says, yeah, I'll do that. So he called Pastor Bowman right away, and, and he says, yeah, send him over right now. And he came over, and he, after a little while, he accepted Christ as his Savior. And here's what Pastor Rutherford said to me. He says, I became to realize it was more important that he got saved than it be I who leads him to the Lord. Isn't that the truth of it? Sometimes we're so focused on, I don't know how to, how, how to break through the religion, and I'm not, listen, just tell them about Jesus, the merciful. You know, that's what they're looking for in their religion anyway. They're looking for the purging of their guilt. They're looking for some sort of uh, justification of, of their life, and so they go, and they go through the rituals and the religion. What we need is Jesus Christ. And Jesus was careful to teach this through this lesson that I don't care that you're a Samaritan. I don't care that you have your own religion. I don't care that you go to a different synagogue on Saturday. I want you to know about everlasting life. I want you to know about the water so you'll never thirst again. That's what we find in Jesus. He was merciful despite the religious trapping. Secondly, he was merciful despite the reality of transgressions. Look at verse 15. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. Can you imagine her eyes when he said that? And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that... Saidst thou truly? The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. You say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. I want you to notice, despite the reality of her sin, Jesus still went to her. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever said, I don't think that guy will ever get saved? I think that's human nature sometimes, isn't it? Boy, that guy, he's wicked. That guy, man, the stuff he is into, the mess that he has made of his life. Well, we we looked at that. Can I be honest with you? I look out in my auditorium this morning and I see Jim Wilson. Jim, when we were in high school, I probably would have thought, this is a guy that won't get saved. You might not have thought it either back then. I I didn't know that he had gone to church a little bit as a kid at Walsh Baptist Church. I didn't know that. But I played basketball with him every day at noon. Was he a wicked guy? No, I wouldn't say he was a wicked guy. I mean, i, I got to be careful what I say because he doesn't get the microphone for a rebuttal, amen? He, he can't tell you about me, so I'm going to be careful what I say about him. But I probably would have said, I, I don't know, but I, I'm not, not just Jim, but a lot of guys we went to school with. We would look around and even today say, I wonder if, I've been surprised since I've reconnected with Jim, and he'll say, well, so-and-so goes to this church, and so-and-so goes to this church, and... Wow. Praise the Lord. Can I tell you, they didn't get there because of me? Because it was my attitude. Well, these guys, man, they're a mess. They're into this and they're into that, and they'll never get saved. Aren't you glad that God's mercy extends our doubt? It goes far beyond what we can think. And God has extended His mercy through His Son, Jesus Christ. This woman said, where can I get this water? And Jesus says, well, go call your husband. He already knew, didn't he? He says, oh, yeah, I don't have a husband. He says, that's right, you don't. You've had five, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. But he still offered her the water. She could still be saved. As a matter of fact, not only was she saved, but many of her city were saved because of the woman's testimony. That's the mercy of Jesus Christ. He comes to us despite the religious trappings, despite the reality of transgressions. Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Jim, I'm glad you're saved. Amen? I bet you are too. Amen. Amen. Here's the truth. If I were to hand the microphone to Brother Wilson right now, he might say, I bet that Alfie never got saved either. Isn't God's mercy great? Amen. Luke chapter 7. Look, if you will, verse 36. I'm sorry, yes, verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a... Sinner. Why would the Bible say that? Because he's talking to you too. When she knew that Jesus had a meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it, He spake within himself, saying, This man, if you were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgavest most. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say with themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Take this from this passage of Scripture. She whose sins were many met the mercy of Jesus Christ. And they were no contest. Jesus always wins. We see Jesus the merciful despite the religious trappings, despite the reality of transgressions. And thirdly, this morning, we see the mercy of Christ despite the rut of traditions. Turn to John chapter 4 again. In verse 19, the Bible says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You'll notice that the lady said, Our fathers say we should... She's not saying, Well, the Scripture says... She didn't say, I learned at church or in Sunday school, or the priest has taught us, or the rabbi has lectured us on this subject. She says, our fathers. It's tradition. You know, so many traditions have turned our eyes from the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, well, why do we do we do this once a year? Well, because we've always done it that way. Why do we have certain ceremonies, and why do we have certain rituals? Well, because it's just tradition. You know, a tradition never saved anybody. We get comfortable in our traditions. We get comfortable in having a certain... uh, First Sunday of the month, we have to have the Lord's table. I think the Lord's table is very important. It commemorates the the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus instituted. He said, this do in remembrance of me. I think it's very important, but for some, I I remember years ago, we were in a a church service and a fellow had come out of a brethren church. And at his brethren church, they would have the Lord's table every single Sunday morning. And he thought we were all going to hell. Because we weren't having the Lord's table every single Sunday morning. It was funny when Pastor Mascara took out the Bible and he said, Do you notice that the, 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 he called it communion? That communion is really a supper. Why do you do it every morning? And the fellow went, Oh... Tradition shattered. Life had ended because you had taken His tradition. Listen, be careful about the trappings and the ruts of tradition. This woman was confused when Jesus came to her and was sharing with her the water of life. And her question was, well, our Father says we should worship in this mountain, but the Jews say down in Jerusalem. She just couldn't seem to wrap her head around it. It It's a dear lady in Stony Creek She's 98 years old now, Mrs. Jackie Ames. I've shared her story before. Jackie came to us when she was about 85 years old. Her husband had died on Christmas Day. And it was shortly after Christmas, she'd received a John of Romans in her mailbox. And on the back, we had the Romans Road, and she took it to her priest. She'd been, by the way, her, her father had died in World War I. She was born in 1915, or 19, uh, 1917. And so her father died when she was one year old in 1918, right at the end of the war. Her mother died of cancer a year later. She was raised in a convent by nuns in Belgium. I mean, you don't get more Catholic than that. And so for her entire life, all she knew was Catholicism. They were raising her to be a nun. Incredible. Incredible. And so at 85 years old, she took that John of Romans and had the gospel on the back and it was a marked edition. You could turn in and find all those verses in Romans and in John and, and, and she was looking and she took her to her preacher. She says, why don't you teach on salvation by grace through faith? And he says, if you want to learn about that, you go to that church. And she was just stubborn enough to do it. Praise the Lord. And so she walked in our door one Sunday morning, 85 years old. It took her 10 years to accept Jesus Christ as her Savior. Every we'd preach the gospel she'd raise her hand I need to be saved we'd go take her down uh, to a counseling room we'd go over to her home we came down here Mr. Whitelaw was preaching at a senior's luncheon one day all the way home she was asking in the car to the other ladies and I was driving them all and she says she says well, what's this mean being saved? 85 years a Catholic she couldn't get her head around the tradition one day Pastor Eagles called me and he says it was like the light flipped on she realized this isn't about tradition, is it? It's about having a relationship with Christ. And she was saved and baptized at 95 years old and still going strong at 98. Praise the Lord. Don't get caught up in tradition. So many times it's Jesus, uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for my mama told me so. No, it's the Bible that teaches us that. It's the word of God that expresses his love, his mercy, and his grace. Don't get caught up in tradition. Boy, I hope your mama taught you that Jesus loves you. But take your authority from the Word of God. It's not because of tradition. Jesus was willing to take His mercy to those who were caught in tradition. Thirdly, we see Jesus the merciful despite the rebellion of the town. This one blesses my heart, and I'll tell you why. Often we read about the Samaritans in the Bible, but you'll notice that this woman talked about Jacob being her father. And our father's had us worship in this mountain, worship God. And she, when she used the word God, she was talking about the same God, Jehovah. So where did these Samaritans come from? It is believed that years earlier during the Assyrian captivity, that these people hid in the hills and they just simply got missed. It be- it's believed that they came from the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh, and they had started a little town which was called Sychar by the Jews, but it was called Asher. By the Samaritans. You say, why? Because the word syker means liar or drunkard. It's like us referring to a city as, well, don't go down there, that's Sin City. It was a derogatory name given by the Jews. So when Matthew, a Jew, or John, a Jew, was writing the Bible, he called it syker the town of the liars or the town of the drunkards. It was a derogatory name. But these Jews that were left behind, maybe they hid or maybe they just got missed during the Assyrian captivity, for survival, had to make allegiances with the Canaanites around them. As a matter of fact, for survival, it's likely they took wives and gave wives. When you only have a few hundred people, you don't argue all the time. And to to take that kind of stand, they, they didn't take a strong religious stand. They couldn't go to Jerusalem to worship. It was now inhabited by other people. And so they set up a place of worship on another mountain. And tried their best to worship God. But when the Jews came back into the land, they said they're half-breeds. And they have twisted the worship. It's easy for us to say, well, they should have died for their faith. But we don't know persecution like they knew. And perhaps we would make make a better stand. I don't know. I hope we're never faced with it. But for whatever reason, that's where the Samaritans came from. And because the Jews were a separated people, they would refuse to even pass through the land. Like I said earlier, they would cross the Jordan and head north or south accordingly, and then cross back over the Jordan into either Judea or Galilee, but they would miss the area of Samaria altogether. It was a rebellious town. It was known as a town of liars and drunkards. And yet here's what blesses my heart this morning. Jesus was willing to take his mercy to the darkest places of the earth. Often we'll see pictures of places in tribesmen in Africa and we just had some folks in from Liberia and we had some folks in from Indonesia and we saw the pictures and the people are putting on the the pagan headdresses and the piercings all over their bodies and things and we wonder what has happened to these people do you know that Jesus still wants to save them he wants to take his mercy to those dark places a place where the gospel light has not shined in many years God loves those people and cares for them If he'll go to Samaria, that's why I love John 4 so much. If he'll go to Samaria, he'll go anywhere. If he'll go to Sychar, a town of drunks and liars and rebellious people. And by the way, the woman he chose from this rebellious town was the one that the rebels didn't even want to have anything to do with. She was that bad. And yet, that's where his mercy went first. Hey, aren't you glad that Jesus came to you I don't know if you say, well, I wasn't a liar, I wasn't a drunkard, I wasn't this, I wasn't that, but we were all sinners. All painted with that same brush of the gospel. We were lost in needing a Savior. And Jesus showed us His mercy. Christ desires to take His mercy to the darkest places of the earth. Let me give you one more this morning. Jesus extended His mercy despite the religious trappings. Despite the reality of transgression, despite the rut of tradition, despite the rebellion of the town, and finally, despite the reaction of the tepid. The word tepid means lukewarm or showing little enthusiasm. Look at verse 27 of John chapter 4. And upon this, Jesus has been speaking with this woman and the disciples have been gone to buy bread and now they've come back. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? I'm glad that the disciples had enough respect for the Lord Jesus Christ to, if I can just put it bluntly, keep their mouths shut. But in their hearts they were saying, what is Jesus doing talking to this woman? We just came from town and boy, what a rebellious place. That's psych her. There are a bunch of liars and drunkards in there. But this woman here, nobody even likes. She's the worst one of the bunch. They've rejected her. She has to come to the well alone in midday. Not, not, not in the morning when the other women come. There's no fellowship. She's an outcast. She's a sinner. Why would Jesus talk to her? Listen, friends. Can, can I, can, let me encourage you in this. You say, you know, Pastor, I I don't have the legs anymore to go door knocking. I can't go door to door anymore. I just don't have the health. I don't have the ability or the strength. Do you know you can still be the loudest cheerleader around? You can get excited about the mercy of Christ. Boy, I I tell you, somebody gets saved, we ought to be shouting and jumping up and down. I mean, they might... People walk in late for service ought to think the rapture's going up on because we're halfway in the air. I mean, we should get excited about those things. Jesus extended His mercy to a lost soul. Jesus forgave somebody of their sins. And it wasn't easy. He had to die on a cross to do it. He had to give His blood, His life. That they might have mercy. The disciples weren't real excited about it. They showed little enthusiasm. They were lukewarm. And the Bible talks about lukewarm Christians, doesn't it? The church of Laodicea, meaning the rights of the people. They weren't warm or hot. They were lukewarm. But because they were lukewarm, God says, I want to spew out of my mouth. Either get hot or cold. Get on fire for the Lord. Do something for Jesus. Why? Why? Because Jesus is out there showing His mercy every day. We heard a song at convention. You've heard the song here. Somebody sang it, I'm sure. The value of one. The second verse says, the Holy Spirit has been working to soften up a heart. All He needs is a willing servant to go and do His part. It amazes me that God would enlist sinners like us to go reach other sinners but he's extending his mercy every day and he just needs a few workers to go because the field is white already unto harvest people are just ready god says they're there he says pray ye therefore that the lord of harvest will send forth laborers into his harvest we need to get busy we can't be lukewarm We can't be tepid. We can't can't react like the Israelites did. We need to get excited about the things of the Lord and excited about His mercy. The last couple years, I've had the privilege of preaching the opening chapel session for the school. And it was interesting because I sat down I did up my message. And i I got to be honest with you, I, I for some reason, don't remember as well as I used to. Does anybody else have that problem? I, uh, last A year ago this week, I, I was invited to preach the men's conference for Pastor Connor. And I preached eight times. And, well, he invited me back. And he called me there, and he, I talked to him. I said, I got a problem. He said, What's that? I said, I can't remember what I preached last year. I said, you might get the same messages. He says, you're going to have to start writing them down, Brother Fury. I said, here's the problem. I've never been invited back anywhere before. I said, I wasn't expecting this, you know? They hear me preach once and say, okay, that's enough. And I said, so I said, I said, I just don't know. I said, just pray that the Lord will give me eight different messages, because I said, I'm scared to repeat one. He's all right, I'll pray. Preaching in chapel, I prepared a message, and then the next year, this year, I prepared a message in September again, and I went and I preached to the kids. And halfway through the message, I looked at Mrs. Baker. Do you remember this? And I said, Did I preach this last year? And she went, I think so. But it's a message that needs to be repeated over and over again. Ephesians four thirty-two: Be kind one to another, Tenderhearted. hearted forgiving one another. Don't miss this. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. If God can forgive me because of what Jesus has done, then I need to be tender-hearted and forgiving as well. I need to extend mercy. I heard a message one time. And the preacher asked, are you world class at showing mercy? It is the thing that people ask Jesus Christ the most for. And it is the thing that Jesus always gave without question. He gave mercy. Do you know that that's a prayer request that is always answered? Think about that. I, I, I can get down on my knees as much as I want and say, Lord, I need a million dollars You know what he answers? Do you need it? Really? Then I get smitten and back. Oh Lord, I want a million dollars. He says, That's better. You're not getting it. But if I ask for mercy, he shows it every time. Every time. Without question. Because he's Jesus the merciful. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Here's Christ's purpose statement we can get from this chapter. He went to the darkest places with the hardest hearts, the most notorious sinners, rooted in tradition and religion, and he forgave them for their sin. That's what Jesus did for us. He is Jesus the merciful. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love for us and we thank You that You sent the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have come and spent His each and every single day cleansing the temple. I believe He did that to demonstrate how important the, the temple is to the, to the Father and how they had perverted and corrupted religion. The Lord, short of those two times He cleansed the temple, He spent every single day showing mercy. Loving people, encouraging people, helping people. Father, may we never lose sight of the fact that Jesus is the merciful one. We can come to him at any moment. That we may come boldly to that throne of grace and obtain mercy, but find grace to help in the time of need. So Father, we pray that you speak to us during this invitation. Maybe there's somebody here today that has not personally met Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There's not been a time in their life that... They've recognized they're a sinner, and then because of their sin, they've fallen under condemnation, the penalty of sin, which is death. And Father, we pray, Lord, that they'd help to understand today that Jesus is merciful. And Jesus came into this world to save sinners, that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if they would just call upon Him today, they can be forgiven and know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, I pray for Christians today, Lord, that we would understand the mercy of Christ and that we would take that same mercy and extend it to others as well. Father, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and bow our heads and close our eyes. Pastor McDonald's going to come and take our invitation this morning. If God has spoken to your heart, this altar is open even now.